Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 505. And today I'm joined by Brandon Cronenberg. Dear Lord, was I excited for, for this one. And dear Lord, did it, it, it deliver. I'm a big fan of Brandon Cronenberg. Some of you will have heard a couple of years back, 2020 in my films of the year, I stumbled upon a screening of his, at that point, brand new release, Possessor, and it blew me away. And then you will also have heard all the talk at the moment about Infinity Pool. I don't know if, if you watch a lot of things on Netflix, a, a lot of the stuff I watch, it was getting advertised, not on Netflix, on YouTube. A lot of the stuff I watch, it was getting advertised on there. There's a lot of talk about it because of how bonkers it is. And we get into that. I think we pretty much avoid spoilers. Certainly nothing more than the than the trailer, but go and watch the, tra- the trailer. It's bonkers. But it's Alexander Skarsgård. It's Mia Goff. It's 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 amazing. I really enjoyed it. Spoiler alert. I think it might um, get into my f- films of the year. Uh, so that's obviously huge n- news for Brandon if he's listening. And Brandon is, of course, the son of, of David Cronenberg, absolute icon of, of cinema as well. So, yeah, we had a good chat. We do we go deep on some stuff, man. I found out some things I didn't know about his filmmaking process, and I proper loved it. I was catching up with my brother just after this, and I did not... Sh- I basically repeated this whole podcast that you're about to hear to my brother, um about 30 minutes after we stopped recording. But you get to listen to it in its true form. Um, we're brought to you as ever by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's where you can get all my merch and stuff. And patreon.com forward slash pip is where you can support the podcast for like a dollar or so a month, a dollar or two a month, and that helps pay the bills. Yeah, I've not got anything else to, to tell you about, man. Let's just get on with the podcast. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 505 with the wonderful Mr. Brandon Cronenberg. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. Right, I'm here today with Brandon Cronenberg. Um, I, I start every one of these episodes asking how you are, but it's a more important question with this chat because if you're good, then we're about to talk about some mind-bending cinema. But if you're not good, I'm really worried about the films you're making, man. Um, <laughs> so, 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 how are you? Is is everything okay? I'm medium. <laughs> you're medium okay that's a good middle ground <laughs> no no i'm good listen um uh, i'm in berlin right now we we just premiered uh the, the film for the eu premiere uh it was a really lovely experience i've never been here before to the city even or or to the festival and uh yeah it's it was, beautiful in berlin right yeah uh, it's, a, it's amazing uh, i mean i haven't had a chance to really see the city yet but the festival has been great the the crowd was incredible and um yeah it, it, it feels really nice on the other hand i'm a, a curmudgeonly pessimistic hermit and so i'm never good exactly but uh, you know man i i do a weekly p- podcast and record it from my living room so i completely understand the curmudgeonly <laughs> hermit side of things I'm jealous but of your beard basically is what i'm saying it's all right right at the moment um i've got to start off by th- thanking you cuz cuz back in 2020 i was shooting a tv show for nbc in vancouver 
peak pandemic where we're filming for seven months and I was isolating for the majority of that. But on one of the breaks from isolation, the first thing I wanted to do was to get into the cinema. It was all I wanted. I adore being in the cinema. But I wanted to go in the daytime so it was quiet and wear a mask still because there's still a production to protect. And the film I saw that was on was a film called Possessor. I hadn't seen any trailers. I, I didn't go off anything other than the artwork. So I went in and watched Possessor with no human contact for two weeks in a new country <laughs> with a slightly fuzzy head. And by God, was it the perfect scenario to stumble into. I honestly think that's the, the perfect way to, to watch the, the, that film. I loved it. So, yeah, thank you for that. It made it into my films of the year immediately. And it really, it was that perfect, I've missed cinema, I've missed the journey that you can go on in a dark room with a big screen and big sound. And the films you make, I do feel... It sounds obvious, but the visuals and the audio are really key. So being in a dark room with a good system really affects that. So, oh, yeah. thank you. That's that's incredibly kind of you. I feel very fortunate that the context really biased you in favor of of, of enjoying our film. So <laughs> you, you know, uh, that, uh, but uh, but that's, that's that's very kind. Thanks. It's beautiful though, man. I'm a big believer in going into films as blind as possible. So I kind of want to know how you find promoting your films because I think your films in particular really benefit from people going in without knowing too much so how is it to promote these things because you don't want to give much away you don't want to ruin anything so it must be tough to discuss the films at times because you want people to experience it fresh right yeah it's 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 a very tricky balance I mean discussing them after the films come out doing doing press is, is is one thing because people can just decide whether they want to hear me ramble on you know like an idiot about my films I, I think the the trickier balance is, is is sort of trailers and and you know it's always a discussion between uh distributors and, and directors and, and, and a kind of point of tension often because they have the perspective and they're right that they want to get as many people to see the film as possible. And as a director, you should want that too, uh, which you should. As a director, you also work very hard trying to surprise people and and, uh, mm. and create this sort of unexpected experience. And, and, you know, with a certain type of filmmaking, that's that's kind of at the core of what it is creatively. So yeah, you instinctively as a director want people to go in blind. Certainly that's the best way to see Infinity Pool, I would I would think. But it's so hard to cut through the noise right now. I mean, there's so much being made, you know, the streaming content wars, there's so much available on the internet, it's so hard to get any sort of attention. So there are certain plot aspects, for instance, where, you know, it's, it's been an ongoing discussion. How how much do you reveal, you know, there's, there's something early on in the film that changes everything and, and that's designed to be a surprise, but that's also become the main point of the trailer and the main, yeah. you, know, you know, discussion point. If I had my way... People would see the film without knowing that. But on the other hand, my distributors were absolutely right to push to include that in the conversation because mm. it was a hook that got people excited about the film. And, and just getting people out to, to theaters, getting people to see your film in the first place is, is such a struggle. So yeah, I I don't know what the I don't know what the right answer is. It, it's just a yeah. question of feeling out how do you uh, how do you, how do you generate interest in a film? It's such a balancing act, isn't it? Before I'm, I, I I moved into acting, I. I was a musician for years and that was always the balancing act there, having the promo team and people wanting to do radio edits and stuff like that. And you have that kind of b battle of, right, I've made this album I'm really proud of, but if we don't do a radio edit of this single, it won't get played on the radio, so I can't get people to hear the album. But the radio edit isn't what I want people to have their impression of. And and, tra and trailers are the prime example of that. The film that made me 
stop watching trailers was the second of the more uh, of Dark Knight Rises. Was it Dark Knight Rises? The one where, that had the amazing scene with Bane in this football stadium, all that. And that was in the trailer because it's an amazing scene and it will draw people in. But then, then when you, you go and see the film, the biggest, most astounding part, something that you've, you've watched 30 times in the build-up. So Right, right, yeah. It's an odd it's, balance. Is it, yeah, it's, it's a tricky balance and there's no right answer. Uh, you know, I, I think ultimately if you're somebody who uh, doesn't want to know, hopefully you're just kind of avoiding this stuff and uh, mm. preserving it for yourself. But again, it's it's so hard to get people out to see anything. So, so I'm you know, as a director, I hate it. But as some, but as a director who also wants people to see his movies, I, I completely sympathize with the impulse. And, and there's some really attention grabbing visuals in Infinity Pool in particular. So there is certain things like I want to hold this off. But if people just see a, a glimpse of this, they're going to go. I need to know what the the fuck's going on there. Are we both possessor and Infinity Pool? You're looking at b- bodies and brains and consciousness and kind of what makes us us. What is it that fascinates you about these these topics and subjects to, to delve into and play with and explore? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, in narrative art, in art in general, in film, quite often the impulse in in making it is to explore what it is to be a human being. You know, it's, it's, mm. it's to explore our perspective, what it is to be us. That's not just true of science fiction films. It's not just true of... Uh, you know, sort of high, quote unquote high concept films. You know, a simple drama is usually very much about uh, human experience, who we are, and and how we how we uh, process our experiences. And so, uh, for me, I guess my version of that is often to do with with, with brains. You know, the, the the sort of format of being a human being yeah. uh, on an essential level that that's interesting to me. But I, I think it's. So much of film is some version of that. You know, you know what I mean? I, I think that's yeah, of course. what we tend to be drawn to when we write. You know, maybe vainly we tend to <laughs> we tend to write about ourselves, but also, uh, you know, we're processing things subjectively. And, and so you can't really totally escape that. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I think it's a fascinating subject because the way it's approached in, in both of, of these films, it's really interesting the divide between religion and science and I'm not a religious person at all but in reading up on things it's that realization that religion at least tries to explain what science can't and that is the kind of the idea of a soul or an essence or whatever else and that is touched upon in in both of these films and I think it's done really beautifully like I don't currently do any drugs but in my youth I like to experiment with a lot of different things and and hallucinogens were a big part of that and it really changed how my mind is now, I think. And there's a lot of studies going on in America and a lot of movements in America at the moment to change the laws around hallucinogens for therapeutic purposes. There's big things going on where people are having two or three therapies, guided therapy sessions on hallucinogens and it's helping them with PTSD and having all sorts of breakthroughs. I guess kind of all this to say that I think you managed to maybe catch to the best representation of such things I've ever seen on film in Infinity Pool. The balance between hyper-focusing on something until it falls apart and crumbles, like my own experiences of that would be looking in a mirror on hallucinogens until you your skin gets old and you and you decay, essentially, versus the kind of ignoring the peripheral and allowing weird things to happen. And there's a particular hallucinating scene in this that I felt just encaptured that so much. There's so much 
focus on quite sh- shocking and strange things, but then also these flashes of moments that you're like, was that, would, I think I just, how, so how is it to try and put together a scene like that on paper and then on film and then in the edit? Uh, on paper, it's very easy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because it's, you know, on paper, those scenes are very short, vague paragraphs mm-hmm. uh, that just sort of say, you know, there, there's a, a nightmarish sequence of, of flashing imagery and and uh, the image distorts it. You know, maybe, maybe there'll be an occasional detail that I throw in where uh, it's specific to the script, but it's a tends to be a short paragraph that is kind of code to my team to say, look, we're going to explore and, and make a kind of experimental film here. And, and, and yeah. they kind of know what that means at this point. To shoot it, it's usually it, it begins with months of uh, experimentation. Usually, first and foremost, with my cinematographer Kareem Hussein. Uh, you know, we spend a lot of time uh, because I, I should say we those uh, sequences are entirely built with practical effects. There's no CGI mm. in them. It's it's 100 uh, percent wow in camera practical effects. So so Kareem and I will spend a lot of time playing with different gels, types of glass, you know, exploring materials, exploring lenses, exploring uh, lighting tricks and and projection feedback and uh, ways that we can deform an image in a practical way. We'll get a kind of toolkit of of ideas and a sort of general aesthetic through that kind of experimentation and we'll, we'll bring on um, you know, Dan Martin is 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 um, my makeup effects designer. He'll come on, and we'll start to uh, come up with puppet <laughs> puppet ideas, and and you know, the makeup effects side. Um, Zosha McKenzie uh, is is my uh, production designer uh, on Infinity Pool, and she built these these sort of mirror boxes that. Um, you know, it would be a box of mirrors, uh, inward facing mirrors, but the front mirror is, is sort of a one way glass. So the wow, yeah, 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 being reflected in the back, there's a, a panel of smart glass so that you can have. Uh, we built a, a, a rig that's like a pinwheel of light tubes, uh, that can spin in the back because it's smart glass, it lets a certain amount of light through. So you get the lights, but you don't see the rig or any, it, it's otherwise reflective, but the light cuts through. So you can get the sort of pinwheel yeah. effect where the light reflects around the inside of, of the, the box. We shoot a bunch of footage. Then Kareem and I go back to his apartment and we project the footage on a screen and we re-photograph it. You know, sometimes we'll do 16 hours at a time of, of re-photographing rushes where we're just filming the shot over same shot over and over again, dangling, you know, dichroic film in front of the lens and diopters. And, you know, um, we, we put on this, you know, what I've heard described as a sort of stupid puppet show where we're just wiggling things <laughs> in front of the lens, but it, it's deforming the image and, you know, we'll sync up the same shot six times uh, with with different kinds of distortion so we can cut between uh, different versions of that distortion in, in this sort of uh, this sort of glitchy way. And um, we create an absolute mountain of footage and, and there are other details thrown in there like, you know, we'll shoot drops of water and colored water in a tank mm-hmm. using a, a probe lens. We'll shoot a kaleidoscope with a probe lens. Uh, Dan and Lee Hardcastle uh, did some stop motion animation for us and, and then we re-photographed that. So we amass a mountain of footage then go through the incredibly <laughs> time-consuming and horrible process of uh, paring that down, taking the best stuff. Um, my editor on this was James Vandewater, and we just spent a, a truly deranged amount of time uh, editing it. Almost at times, almost like like stop motion, because we were taking individual frames, pairing them using you know three frames from three different shots, 
but then there's a there's a kind of alchemy to the process because depending on the order of, of the shots, different images sort of break through. And, and so um, there was a, a very, very long editing process uh, once we had all that. And, and that's how we built it out. You, you're blowing my mind here. This sounds amazing. And what I love about it, again, I, I had later on a question about Karim and about the amount of in-camera versus after effects because that comes across in the film and something that's exciting about the way you m- make this that I'd felt when watching it but that makes sense now after effects can do am- amazing things these days right I'm not sh- shitting on any after effects people they're a key part in so much cinema I love but because of the nature of their job they have complete control over everything whereas the nature of the way you guys do it this is essentially a film about people going in thinking they're in control of certain things and and not being in control and those scenes feel so unhinged and uncontrollable and there's so many intangible things there and I love to learn that that's now essentially because you you built everything in your control and then took all control away (laughs) you know put it through projections hung hung thing in front changed changed all of this so yeah do you feel that the energy in your processes is key because it somehow comes across in the footage the energy going into the processes comes across somehow on the screen and in the work that comes out i mean i think possibly but not just the energy i think there are two elements to to that kind of practical filmmaking Mm. that i think define the quality of the film and and that i like as you say i i don't have anything against cgi either um it it can be great and we had a a lot of vfx in the sense of you know cleaning up you know effects pulling out painting out blood tubes um, some set enhancement switching a sign here and there and you know we there there are technically vfx shots in the, the film but just not for the hallucination effect one thing is that there's a different quality to a, a practical in-camera effect. There are limitations too, but I, I find practical effects have a kind of weight to them and a, a sort yeah. of texture to them. And, you know, it, it certainly is a different quality. It's, it's something that I like aesthetically. At the very least, you, you can feel that it's a different kind of thing often. And, and so that defines the aesthetic to a certain degree. But also there's a process of discovery that isn't possible, I think, uh, at least if if you're not a, an effects artist, maybe maybe there is a, a version of that if you're an effects artist, uh, a, a digital effects artist. But rather than handing something off to somebody and saying, this is what I want, and then getting stuff back, yeah. I'm there wiggling the gels. And, 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 you know, Kareem and I are exploring. And the, the thing that happens is uh, you stumble onto the, this imagery by accident. You know, you, all the, you're, you're trying for one thing. The effect doesn't work, but it works in another way that suggests another experiment or, or mm. you know, the diopter lines up in just this particular way that you couldn't have expected. And, and that becomes the language of the film. And so the, 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 uh, the through process, there's a process of discovery uh, that, that ends up defining the aesthetic. And, and that uh, is something that I really enjoy. And, and I think some of the stuff that we land on wouldn't have been possible if I had just handed the idea to somebody and, and had a, a, an indirect relationship with what they were doing. Yeah, of course. And and I want to know a little bit more about the discovery of the filmmaking process for you and how close your scripts are to what actually ends up on, on screen. I was chatting to, to Gaspar Noe at, a, at an event a while back and he was telling me how I think the script for Climax was something like 12 pages. Um, and, and again, his scripts tend to be, here's an idea, but obviously, you know, he's He's Gasper. He's like, people just go, all right, well, you go and do your weird shit over there and we'll, and we'll 
watch it and enjoy it later. So, yeah, what's your your, your process on that script-wise to ver- versus what ends up on screen? Uh, I mean, my scripts are not hugely long, but they're long enough. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like they're more a, than twelve pages. <laughs> yeah, they're more than twelve pages. <laughs> uh, you know, I feel like a good features feature length script is probably seventy <clears throat> to eighty pages. You, you know, mm. uh, but I also direct my pages at more than the traditional minute per per page. I don't know why that is. It's, it's just the way I write or the way I direct. But yeah. but I know going into it, you know, if I have a ninety page script, it's going to be you know, well over two hours. And I, mm-hmm. um, so in some ways, the scripting is very specific. I, I, I don't do improv in, in terms of dialogue. The, the dialogue, uh, I'm very particular about. So on a certain level, it's there. But then again, you know, in, in this, I, I feel like from a from a from an effects perspective, there's this process of, of discovery that it's very deliberate. From an indie film perspective, there's so much that you you sort of uncover through process as well. Uh, mm. Just because it's the nature of indie filmmaking, you can't storyboard something and get a bunch of concept artists and then use two hundred million dollars to to <laughs> exactly create yeah. what you imagined. But I also don't know if that's the best way to to make films. I mean, you know, certainly I would like a little bit more money <laughs> and, and just you know a little bit more uh, time and, and freedom. But there's so much that you discover when you're doing location shooting, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much you discover as you're exploring a city and, and going to these different locations and, and that they can uh, in a, in a very positive way, redefine the aesthetic. And so I'm happy to abandon aspects of the script and conform them to uh, new, better things that we uncover as we're developing, but it's not improv, you know, it's not a 12 page script and a, and a bunch of improv. It, it, it's, it's very specifically scripted. Yeah. I, I I love that. And you mentioned, kind of mentioned the location there. And one of the things I liked quite, I was going to say earlier on, kind of at the midpoint when things start to really get out of hand is, is, is the setting of this story on holiday. Not simply in another country, but people on holiday. Because I think there is something really weird with the, the, the mental state of being on holiday that you can justify things a lot more and 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 you'll do things you maybe wouldn't do in normal day-to-day life the real world examples are starting drinking in the morning um obviously you push that to very far extremes but it kind of for me it helped ground a very obviously wild and 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 surreal series of events it kind of managed to ground it quite nicely in, in reality for me so was 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 the idea of it being on in a holiday camp in this kind of faraway land, yeah, a key part of that, of getting to the extremes that you wanted to to, to get to. I, yeah, I, I think so. I think, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people watching the film have had some version of a, a, a holiday at, you know, at a resort or, you know, on a, you know, not necessarily a, a fancy resort, but, you know, I, you know, some of it was drawing from my own experiences at a, a sort of trashy, yeah, all-inclusive resort that I went to 20 years ago that was a sort of... Yeah. A completely sinister experience for me, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. From my perspective, there are people who think that's great, and there are people who think it's uh, absolutely horrifying. And you know, you fall into one camp or, or the other camp. So you know, it's not that everybody goes on resort vacations, but there there is a sort of uh, even though these characters are sort of wealthy and a- abnormal in the sense of of being very rich, uh, there's something to the banality of that kind of vacationing that that I think is sort of an in for people. People have had experiences similar to that, relate to mm. that. Also, I think structurally the film 
for the first, you know, 20 minutes is a film that you've seen before. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the, the accident on vacation where people get in trouble film is, is a common one. And then yeah. I, I think that's, that's also an entry point. Hopefully you feel it's going to be one thing. It changes into something else. As per our previous conversation, I, I think you kind of know a little bit about where it goes, at least initially that, that twist is, is, is out there, but starting with something familiar and then transforming it so, you know, also with possessor. I mean, it's sort of on a certain basic level, it's a, it's a kind of spy film or, or sort of mm. assassin film, but it has this other element to it. And, and so I think giving people some entry point in through that allows uh, you to go off the rails and in, in, in a sort of fun way, hopefully fun way later. It's, it's what I really uh, I like about your, your films is ex- exactly that it will have a, they'll, they will have a very familiar entry point or route or or general theme as you say but then it allows you to go fucking b- b- bonkers with them in places and go to really quite extreme places and it still it roots it in everything but i guess i mean i want to talk obviously we've got a limited amount of, of time i want to talk a little bit about about me and 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 alexander and and just the cast in general cuz what kind of pre-production work goes into a film like this cuz again some of the scenes that both Alexander and me have to do are pretty out there. They're pretty wild scenes. And Alexander in, in particular, he just astounds me at the moment because I think he is this classic Hollywood superstar guy, yet he's continuing to pick interesting projects like this, like the Northman. He's not just going down the typical route that someone of his stature, his physique, his look, his talent could go down. So, yeah, how do you you get the actors to the right place with with the, the performances that they have to give? I mean, honestly, I think with actors like that, they're in the right place coming into it. Uh, you you yeah. know, uh, I think, first of all, if an actor is not right for a film like this, they won't talk to you. You know, I, I think if you're... Speaking, There's clues in the script, right? There's clues in yeah, the yeah, script yeah. if it's going to be for you. Yeah, you know, like all those scenes are scripted, so you know what you're getting into. And yeah. if it's not for you, you're not even going to return my calls. But also, you know, the thing is, I... I, I Cast those actors because they're so brilliant, because I, mm. I, I'm already excited about them, because I know uh, where they can go. I know what they can do. And so the, I, I sometimes get a question like that. You know, how do you how do you get this this performance out of the actor? How do you how do you kind of get them there? The answer is I stay out of their way for the most part. You know, mm. I, I, with, with actors like these, the casting them is the is the most difficult thing as a, as a director. You you cast someone because you know they're going to be brilliant. And then there's some prep work. I mean, we have conversations to, to varying degrees. I mean, with, with both me and Alexander about uh, what the character arc was, you know, to varying degrees, we would get into the details of, of uh, tracking the character, what their motivation uh, would be, the character psychology, uh, those kinds of those kinds of discussions. By the, time, by the time we get to set, though, I mean, they're just doing great stuff and I'm just letting them do great stuff and, and they're making my, my job very easy. I mean, obviously... As a director, you need to be editing in your head as you're shooting the scenes. You need to have a sense of, of what you want to do and make sure you're getting the right material. So it's not completely free form, but they're going there and I'm trying to create an environment where they're free to go there. You know, it's not a struggle. I think in a film like this, if it, if it were a struggle, it would mean you had the wrong the wrong actor. You, you want people who are just going to absolutely embrace it and, and take it to a level beyond even what you were, uh, had in mind. What's your process in... In finding those right people, but because it struck me as I was watching this, Mia in particular, I was like, 
absolute perfect person for this role, obvious person. But then it occurred to me that, well, X and Pearl and things like that probably came out after you've cast her for this. So it it, it probably wasn't, a, oh, because it does with a Suspiria as well. She seems to be the the darling of, of indie horror, of, of creative, original indie horror at the moment. So, yeah, what, what draws you to people and what, and, and how does that, that casting process go on your side? I mean, I, I had, yes, I hadn't seen Pearl or X. She, she was, she was shooting Pearl when I first mm-hmm. contacted her. So they, they shot it back to back with X. And so X hadn't yeah. released it. But I mean, I've, I've loved her work since the start. I mean, you know, like I, I, she's one of those actors I've been seeing for years. And every time I see her in something, she's stealing every scene she's in. She's absolutely yeah. brilliant. She just has that, that hard to articulate viscerally exciting thing that some performers have that where, where you just see them and it's they're, they're making no boring choices they're immediately fascinating you know so uh, again I, I think i think part of it is you select someone very exciting or th- this is my stupid casting process you you find someone who excites you in that way and you mm-hmm. plug them into the character and you want them to wake that character up for you because I'm very bored of my characters by the time I, I shoot developing <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for too long. Yeah. They've gone to sleep on me. They've died on me. And so I want a character to bring them back to life, uh, an actor to bring them back to life to uh, to wake them up. So you get someone like Alex, you get someone like Mia. The character becomes perfect for them because they're so excellent. <laughs> they, they, they embody mm. that character. And then even, even as a director, you know, my, my I, I'm happy if the actor is not exactly what I imagined and if they're surprising me. Uh, I don't want the character to be exactly what I had in mind. I want the actor to bring their own art to it and and, and to bring their 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 own genius to it and and to catch me off guard and and to, and to to shape the characters in a, in a surprising way. Then by the time the film is edited and and released, I can't see those uh, characters being played by any other actors. Also, mm. but it's not because I had exactly that in mind uh, when I was writing. You know, quite the opposite. Yeah. I want. I want there to be some friction between my conception of the the character originally and and what the actor brings to that because I think that's exciting. You know, I think that collaborative that collaborative process is exciting and I, that it gives the the character that feeling of discovery for me where where through process yeah. uh, we're finding something. I can completely imagine that by the time of, sh- of shooting to have that new excitement of this character feeling new and feeling original is going to then draw you in more to to capture every element of it. Um I want to talk a little bit before we run out of time about sound because again I think you've illustrated how important the relationship between yourself and, and Karim is on this in with the visuals I think with horror and sci-fi which is where you kind of walk the line I feel with both of those genres more than any other really sound designs soundscapes is so key to the experience of a film so yeah what's the the sound process it's it's different on every film to be to be honest i've, I've sort of had different sound designers i mean uh, there, there's a there's a a sort of team in toronto that, that i've worked with yeah. uh, a number of times but then on possessor it, it wasn't it was martin pavey the, who you know I'd, I'd go to his it was a very different experience because we were doing post in, in london and so i was going to his uh, attic in plumstead and he he's another sort of mad scientist who was sticking contact microphones to my head and playing Jennifer Jason Lee's voice through my skull and and, <laughs> and then recording <laughs> that to get the, the proper sound uh, through my head. So astounding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was so it's been different in each case, actually. I think the constant is uh the characters 
it, it each film is sort of from the perspective of one character. They tend to be very mm. subjective films. So I want the experience to have of sound to have this kind of impressionistic quality to some degree to, to have it be especially in the hallucination sequences this sort of like you know very first person uh impressionistic thing but then music really enters into it as well i mean you know on infinity pool tim hacker did the score it's absolutely fantastic and the score and the sound design have in it because because of the way he does music because it, it sort of has this sound design equality and this you know there's a, a lot of the film where the score really takes over and, and stuff that might have been sound design actually kind of gets in the way of the music because the music is already partly sound design. And, and mm-hmm. so there's an interplay uh, there between uh, the composer and, and the sound design team. Yeah. I, I, I always get a buzz talking to people who are in this industry who are excited to nerd out over all these weird <laughs> intricacies and details and to kind of not necessarily make it easy because making film is really hard but yeah kind of consciously going well it's going to be a lot harder if we're putting microphones and playing a voice through my head but 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 that's how we're going to do it so I want to kind of know was film always what you were going to do obviously you've got a hell of a surname a hell of a a a lineage there so what was film always your goal or, or or were we reluctant at first I wasn't I wasn't really interested until I was in my 20s uh, to be honest, I mean, I, I grew up around film, and so I, I knew what that process was, and I always respected the art form. And, and uh, but I, to be honest, I was sort of doing everything else. You know, I was, I was playing in bands, and I was trying to write books, and I, I was doing visual art. And I kind of came to film because there was a moment where I was uh, just doing a little of everything and not doing any of it very well. And I realized if, if I was, <laughs> if I was going to have any shot at becoming halfway competent at anything, I needed to focus on one thing. And so yeah. um, film wasn't, it wasn't really something I came to as a cinephile loving film specifically. It, it was, uh, you know, although again, I always appreciated the art form, but it was, it was a desire to stay connected to music and to stay connected to visual art and, and writing while focusing on, on one particular thing that, that I could hopefully d- d- develop a, a, a skill for or, or you know, some basic competence for at least. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you came in at exactly the right uh, time from what I'm seeing. So to wrap things up, I want to ask what's ahead. I believe, is are you working on a t- TV sh- show next or is that inaccurate? It's always hard to know if what's true on IMDb. Be or not. So what's yeah? What's ahead? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. There's no. I don't know. I, I am working on a show, uh, an adaptation of a J.G. Ballard novel called Supercan as a yeah. series. I hope that's going to happen. I'm, you know, have a space horror film that I've been developing for a number of years. Uh, there are a couple of other things I'm not allowed to to mention yet, but none of it's locked in yet. So I'm actually not sure what the next thing is, but I, I hope to to have something to shoot in the next year or two. Uh, I was going to say. How do you relax in between projects? Are you any good at relaxing in between projects? Or is it constantly a ticking over thing to 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 want to know what you're working on next and what you're creating? Uh, yeah, I can't relax at all. I mean, maybe it's because I drink too much coffee. I don't know. <laughs> you, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because, so, you know, film, obviously, it's it's in a sense a, a, a freelance job in addition to being an, an art form. And on the one hand, you can sort of keep your own schedule, I guess. But on the other hand, 
everyone I know who's in an early stage film career is is anxiety ridden and mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you know, in a state of psychological ruin because you're you're constantly worried that you're not going to be able to get something together. It takes years to get something together, and so um, you're always kind of reaching for something. It's very hard to turn off, but that's okay. I mean, I, I like working. It's also it's also it's a horrible but absolutely wonderful <laughs> thing. You know, it, it, it's, yeah. it's I feel so fortunate to be able to. To make films uh, for a living that's incredible so yes i i don't relax i think that's okay i don't <laughs> you know I don't, maybe uh, i'll burn out eventually but uh, for now i'm i'm happy to just keep going well i hope you don't burn out any time soon and i appreciate you taking the time to come and have a little ch- a chat today i hope the rest of the day goes amazingly well thanks so much yeah thanks for talking to me i, I appreciate it You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. I hope you enjoyed that because as you will have heard, I did. You know that when he was going into the technical breakdown of how they shot the hallucination scenes and stuff like that, you know I was buzzing. And the stuff about the the sound as well, recording sound through his skull. (laughs) All that stuff. You know I'm a nerd for that, so... Yeah, this was a dream. I'll be back next week with more of the good good. So um, until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta. <laughs>